Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil, along with John and Logan. Today is episode number 104. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about such exciting topics as practice what? Box modifications, some project updates, and more. So I hope you enjoy today's show. This episode is brought to you by Shaper Tools. They're the makers of the Shaper Origin, a handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, and more with speed and precision. You can try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. Now, I thought I would start today's episode with a couple of comments. Uh, one of them is, uh, these are from our YouTube channel. One is from a guy with the handle EG Blue Suede. Sometimes I will practice a technique, especially if I have a new tool I want to use for a project. But the biggest leap I made in my woodworking was from watching Neil Paskin on YouTube. He always tries new things and says, just give it a go with typical Aussie flair. Once I applied that to my projects, I quit overthinking and just dove in. I've yet to execute any project perfectly, but other than Chris Fitch, what woodworker does? Fixing or hiding mistakes is probably the most important skill to develop. And then Roadster Lover Media wrote, Bravo, great show. Interesting to hear things go south from time to time, but I never would have thought about sanding the edges of three ring binders. Works for me. Next episode, you said Chris is a bandsaw master. What are your strong suits and how would mere mortals improve to your level? I know the answer is just practice, 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 but answer the age old questions. Practice what? Practice how? Or you will know when you have arrived when, or after, or hours, or widgets made, or whatever. Next episode after that, in depth, is French polished good for small projects needing a dazzling finish or is that method too fuzzy for small projects fussy for small projects thanks all right we'll uh save that one but i thought with logan back today we could discuss Sommelier. the idea <laughs> right the idea of practicing to get things started because that was uh the topic john and i worked on and discussed mm -hmm. last week was what what do you do to ingrain a new skill? And I think, you know, one of the things that's did it for me was, you know, we've done a thousand tips in the magazine. Some of them are super cool. Some of them are less cool. And the ones that are cool, I feel like I could print those out and keep them somewhere, but I'm never going to remember to look there. So I have to, I read about it, be inspired by it, and I have to do it like right away. And once I do it, I have that, it, it, it's like in a different part of my brain. You're, so you're talking like, as far as like, like a, this a reading, technique, right? Like yeah. A, like a tip on a technique. A tip on a technique okay. or even just a, I mean, just, yes. Okay. I was, you know, my, like, my brain immediately went to like a reader tip for like hanging up your socket <laughs> wrenches on your ceiling or something. Yeah. I mean, there are tips that are similar to that, that it, it's more, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking more along the lines of, uh, 
I saw this tip on uh, Dave Fisher's site where he was pairing small pieces on his bench top. It's like when it's super small, there's really no room for you to clamp it down. So what he did is he had this relatively long stick and he put one end under a hold fast and braced the other end of the stick against the stem of the hold fast and then butted his work piece against that. And then he could use that as a stop. And it was like, that's super genius. I'm never going to remember that. And then I just did it in my workshop, just set it up that way. And it's like, oh, this is super cool. And now it's there. But I mean, I think the same thing applies to uh, resawing or cutting solid tenons or whatever. So what do you do? Uh, usually close my eyes and go for it. <laughs> if it doesn't work, don't do it again. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, like, as far as a technique goes, like, using a tool, yeah, I definitely mess around with it. Because to me, woodworking is fun. Like, ultimately. Like, yeah, we do it for a living, but mm-hmm. woodworking is fun. So, like, if I get a new tool, first thing I'm going to do is go play with it. It's like when I'm cleaning my shop, I end up making a bigger mess because I find like, I'm like, oh, I never adjusted this plane. I'll adjust it. And then all of a sudden I'll have a pile of shavings on the floor. You know what I mean? Like, and all of a sudden I'm, I have no more nice pieces of cherry because I just planed the whole thing into oblivion. Right. So like, I guess, yeah. I, do I see it as practice? No, I just see it as playing. Um, but ultimately right. that's what it is. So... You know, I, I, there are certain things that I know that I need to work on, um, and I will put a, uh, a conscious effort towards, um, one of which I hate sanding. And I've talked about this before. I hate sanding. My Merca sander has changed my view on sanding, but now I've just, I've, I've come to understand that with cheaper sanders, I tend to put more pressure on one edge of the sander versus the other. Okay. Um, so my conscious effort as while I'm sanding is to make sure I keep the sander flat. And I've right. had a hard time breaking myself of the habit of like, Oh, look, there's a divot. <laughs> Angle it on the side and dig it out. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, just, I mean, yeah. feather it out, just feather that divot out. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of Bono and just flare it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I guess those are, those are kind of been my, my bigger things. Um, you know, from, I, I guess I find myself, doing it a lot uh consciously trying to get better at something when i'm you know uh, milling lumber i've been trying to i don't soften grade but i try to i have recently started to try to have that mentality where it's like hey you know what i'm gonna get better bored if i flip it 90 degrees so instead of just keep going i'm gonna flip it so sure. you know it's it's trying to i guess the biggest thing to me is recognizing what you need to work on and work on it so how would you, I, I, you know, that's one thing that I didn't think of and I do in my shop is the concept of, I mean, it sounds dismissive, but just playing around. Oh yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like w- when you have a new tool or, um, I can think of, uh, turning, yep. you know, when you started getting into turning that you were just kind of messing around. Oh, completely. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the question is, like the, like the commenter said, is like 
you can practice, but how do you know you're practicing the right thing? Because, you know, if you compare it to like golf, you can go around and practice, practice, practice. But if you have poor form or whatever, all you're doing is reinforcing poor form. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yes. And that's that's a great point because I have um, there are certain things that I have developed and I can't pull one off the top of my head, but like. I do it wrong, but I've done it wrong so many times that I, it's hard to break myself of it. Right. And like you said that, I mean, that's a very good way to put it. You have poor form golfing and you play golf like that for 30 years. You're always going to have poor form. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I guess to me, it's like watching, I have two young kids. Uh, John has four young kids. Well, too young, too not so young, but like <laughs> watching them, they learn how to function as a person by playing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. there's no better correlation than playing and learning. So it's like, hey, yeah, I'm just going to make a pile of shavings. Or uh, Phil, I was making a, a cutter this week in the studio for a beading tool. And I've used it a handful of times, but just making the cutter and playing around with it. It's like, oh, yeah, this works great. Like, mm -hmm. I've learned certain things that you have to watch for. Like, you can't play against grain that's going, you don't want the grain to push the cutter out of the cut. So you need to right. pull the or push the, the beater in a certain direction with whatever grain you have. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, do I say, hey, you know what? Three to five today is my practice time with my hand plane. Nope. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely yeah. don't. But it's one of those like, you know what? I got a little time. I'm going to see what the shop tells me to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of the same way. If I get a new tool or I'm trying a new technique, like Logan said, I might play around with it for a little bit, but I'm not going to sit there and practice until, you know, I have the perfect joint or anything. It's like you play around for a little bit and then you just get into it and, yeah. you know, try it out and not necessarily try it out on the biggest, most expensive project, but, you know, maybe, maybe something smaller, like a box or a smaller yeah. project. And, and you'll, you'll know if it's, you know, getting better or not. And, if it's not getting better, there's always wood filler and glue yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And you just kind of learn as you go. And if you just keep doing it, you're you're probably going to figure out what's working and what's not. But I think yeah. we, we kind of have advantages here of, you know, working around a lot of other woodworkers and get a kind of bounce ideas off of each other and see what everybody else is doing. So I guess. Just... Yeah. And I don't want to discount that. We do have that opportunity to be able to ask questions. And, mm -hmm. uh, I think like you said, John, to agree with that point is I know when I'm practicing and when I'm just goofing around and I, I, I feel like I don't make steps in learning a technique until I'm, I'm applying it to a project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like I have to put it you know, I, apparently I don't practice like I play it's, um, I know that there's a difference. So I'm going to work on it in a, pro in the course of a project because there's a larger context, usually in most techniques of, you know, part preparation or, you know, what comes before and what comes after that makes that technique worthwhile, you know, like, so for resawing, I would resaw, but would leave the pieces pretty thick because I just didn't trust myself to, you know, resaw a board to seven sixteenths when I needed a three eighths inch piece. 
So I'm resawing it at a half or nine sixteenths and then planing it down to there just because I don't want it tapered or a barrel cut or whatever. You know, now when I know that my saw is set up at home right or the one in the shop has a new blade, then I will, I can, I feel comfortable enough going down there. So it's like knowing, knowing, setting your expectations a little low until you, till you have that and then being able to take that to another, another level. Same thing with like using hand planes. Cause I mean, for me, when I started using hand planes, I was using it as like a cleanup tool, cleaning up edges, you know, putting chamfers or easing edges or something like that. Uh, doing like the faces of a panel or workpiece freaked me out because I just knew I was going to get some big chunk and tear out that was going to be super visible. So it, it took a while for me to have that confidence and then to actually do it where it's like, I'm going to use this hand plane and it's going to be essentially my final surface. Yeah. Now, and I think that's a, an, an important point you make, Phil, is like, <clears throat> if, if you pick up a new tool and you try something and it doesn't work how you wanted I think the biggest thing, like the thing that drives me more nuts than anything is when somebody knee jerk reacts to something. It's like, oh crap, I got tear out. The, the same plane sucks. I'm never going to use it again. It's like, like to me, it just makes me want to backhand them. Like knock it off. Like <laughs> you're the problem, not the hand plane. <laughs> no, it's like, yeah. it's like, stop, take a moment and look what happened and figure out why that happened. Um, yeah. you know, we, we were talking about turn, you mentioned, you know, turning earlier when I was starting to learn to turn, I get a ton of tear out. I'm like, well, what the heck is going on? And it's like, okay, stop. Okay. I I'm looking at it and I'm realizing, oh, that cut I just made went across against the grain. So not the bowl gouge, not the sharpness of the bowl gouge user error. Um, right. same thing with, uh, you know, doing hand plane against, you know, on the face of a board. There are certain boards that are not going to hand plane very nicely. There are some that yeah. you can hand plane with a butter knife clamped in your hands, you know, like, yeah. So practice makes perfect, but when it doesn't go perfect, stop, analyze, figure out what happened and try it again. So, yeah, I guess I always look at it too, as, uh, giving myself the benefit of the doubt in the fact that I, this, that this is a progression and right now this is where I'm at, you know, can I, do I know that hand planes or band saws or whatever are capable of this level? Oh yeah. But that's not where I am right now. I'm at this level and that's going to be good enough for what I can do. Like I, I just, I can't go beyond who I am. The next project, however, it'll be up a little bit better. You know, the next one is going to be better is how I look at it. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that I do, I do as gifts. And for the people that I give those things to, they don't notice that at all. You know, I've been working on uh, my skill with carving and I had some redwood that I think I had gotten from you, Logan. 
and glued it up into a panel and saw, you know, like a carved welcome sign. So I wanted to try some letter carving. So I drew out welcome in a font that looked like it was easy enough for me to carve. And, and I was able to do it, but I could tell that my knife wasn't as sharp as it could be for redwood. And for an incised carving, you know, you kind of want your two sides to meet crisply at the bottom. Well, I kind of undercut one side in one part and undercut it on the other side. And it looks kind of sketchy. And I ended up finishing it. It looked okay. I'm more critical of my stuff than other people are. And my sister loves it. It's hanging in her kitchen and it's a year and a half old now. And, and it looks way better. Well, what, what do you, what do you always say? The rule of five? Yeah. Yeah. It's the rule of five. If you can't see the flaw from five feet away, it doesn't exist. And in five years, you will yep. remember it. Mm-hmm. And don't make that mistake yeah, going five back. times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going back to the, the commenters question of like, how do I know when like I've made it or like, you know, kind of perfected the craft. It's like, I still look back at things I did, you know, five years ago, a year ago. And, you know, some stuff I really like, you know, in project, but I always know, you know, what the imperfections were, or what I could do better, or I look at what other people are doing and, you know, I think, oh man, I could wish I could, I could do it that good. Or, so I don't know if that you ever feel like you've made it or perfected no. anything. It's always a progression. And yeah. Yeah. So. I will say though, when you'll know when you, when you've quote unquote made it with a specific technique when you just go for it on a project without second guessing yourself on using that technique, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I glued up this panel for the top and you just instinctively reach around behind you and you grab your plane and you start planing it, knowing that that's the way you're going to end up with a smooth surface. Yeah. Right. You know, are are you still going to get better from there? Yeah. But when you feel like you have that, confident competence to just do it then then that's where it is i feel anyway we'll let you know when we make it yeah (laughs) we will let you you guys will be the first to know logan will definitely know logan will let you know when he's made it yeah because we had talked about in the last podcast uh Chris cutting the hub for his clock. I mean, you guys, did you, I didn't, I don't, I don't listen to your podcast. I'm sorry. All I heard was we didn't have to hear about sawmilling and I shut it off because I was upset that there was no <laughs> sawmilling. Like, Not I grabbed that stupid offcut, drew a circle on a board and rotate it 90 degrees, which you'd think, okay, normal human being, it's going to be lopsided. That MF was yeah. dead on. Like, <laughs> freaking Chris Fish. I think he secretly put a pivot pin in somewhere and just didn't tell anybody. Yeah. Right. I'm pretty sure Chris Fitch can't pass the I'm not a robot uh, capture things <laughs> on computers. Wa- He's got to have somebody else do it. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, anyway, it was just, it's an interesting question because I, I I mean, one of the areas that I struggle with it broadly is expectation. Like I have an expectation that I place on myself of getting to a certain level faster than is rationally possible. Yeah. Case in point, sharpening. Yep. 
I can sharpen chisels and plane irons and my spoke shave, you know, those kind of things and get the results that I'm looking for. You know, are they super ultra mega whatever? No, they're not. But those blades do what I can or what I, what I want them to do. Um, I have an expectation for my carving tools, like my gouges or, you know, I was talking with you that earlier, I have a little knife that we did as a shop notes project and I want to use it for an upcoming carving project or carving thing that I'm going to do. And I just knew that the edge as it stood was not where I wanted it, but I don't know where I technically want it. Is that reasonable? Or am I setting the bar too high? But then I just, you know, started sharpening and it's sharper than it was. So I feel like that's progress. Now, the one thing I will say in, in regards to sharpening, but it also applies to other stuff. Sometimes, sometimes it's not the process that you're doing. Sometimes it's the tool that's the problem or something about the tool that's the problem. Um, yeah. You know, like like you said, like I could sharpen a hand plane or a chisel to where it will pop hairs off my arm. Like it will be sharp. Um, and I always struggled with, I, I kept hearing people in the wood turning world say, oh, be careful of that edge. I'm like, I've never had my bowl gouges to a point where I'm afraid to touch the tip. Like they, they just don't get that sharp. But I mean, right. I was talking to my buddy Jimmy clues about it. He's like, ah, he's like, these are, you know, whatever steel these are made out of. He's like, it doesn't get that sharp. It's like a tongue. It's, I mean, it's not tungsten yeah. carbide, but it's like a tungsten carbide. A tungsten carbide cutter does not get that sharp. Like you feel the helical yeah. head. It's not sharp. Um, in regards to, you know, like a hand plane iron. Um, same thing with right. like, you know, your, your knife, for example. Like we, we were looking at it earlier. It's like, okay, yeah, that could be sharper. But then I started thinking maybe the angle needs to change on it. You know, maybe the bevel angle needs yeah. to change. And if it had a steeper, sharper angle or a, uh, you know, a less steep angle, um, it might feel sharper to you. It might get sharper. Yeah. And, and I actually yeah. did that. I think I am laid back a little bit farther on there. So it is a finer finer yeah. edge but you know like i also noticed and i i wouldn't have said that i had it that way before but looking at it again again knowing my i'm not the same woodworker i was two weeks ago or whenever it was that i last sharpened this but that those bevels sure. were rounded from whatever part of my sharpening yeah. technique yeah i mean it's like looking at i have some of the love them or hate them i know somebody will hate them the flex cut carving chip carving knives. I have a couple of those. Oh, I yeah, love yeah. them. Oh, they're those are nice. razor blades, yeah. but they have such a yeah. shallow edge on them. You know what I mean? Like it's like a has to be like a 17, 12, 17 degree bevel on them. Like there's nothing there yeah. and they're polished to, right. you know, I could shave on it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes it's not necessarily your, technique or you that needs the practice sometimes the tool just needs adjusted slightly um mm -hmm. and 
I mean, a good example is hand planes. I, I was over at my buddy Andy's a couple of weeks ago, and he had one of those Ulma. Actually, it was before, I think it was before Ulma. Was ECE first or was Ulma first? Ulmia? Ulmia? Uh, I think it was, was Ulmia it? Uh, first. So he had, he had one of the Ulmia planes. It was a smoother. He's like, I can't get this thing to cut. Like, I can't get it to take shaving. And I was like, well, here, it feels sharp. Let me adjust a couple things. So I adjusted a couple things. I tightened down the throat. So I think what he had was the chip breaker set back really far, but then he had a mm. tight mouth on it or vice versa. He had a really tight chip breaker and a open mouth on it. I was like, no, let's tighten both those way down. And I mean, we had a thing taken yeah. like wispy. Like it was one of those, you, you take a swipe and it shoots straight up out of the plane and it flutters down. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like, I know I need it. It's like, I, I was beating myself up so I couldn't figure it out. I was like, yeah, you just need to adjust it a little bit. So sometimes it's just yeah. little tweaks. It's not you, it's the plane. It's just how you yeah. set it up. Yeah. Yeah. Woodworking is not necessarily easy, but if you're really struggling to make a cut or do something, it's probably because yep. it's not sharp or it's not set up right, or you need to come at it from a different angle because of grain direction or, yeah. or your data really to force things. I think that's the only <laughs> bit of humanity we ever seen from Curious Fitch. <laughs> and he's still cut. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> it's a back cut. Right. You know, yeah. it's a little bit cleaner. Mm -hmm. Burnishes the fibers. Yeah. It's like back routing yes. on a router. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I will say that you know woodworking also requires a certain level of pig-headedness of you know you have to just stick yeah. with it. You know, that goes with what you were saying earlier of a knee-jerk reaction is to you know maybe you need to just set it down yeah. and walk away and tomorrow it's going to be better because you will be better. But I mean you you need to stick yeah. with something and go at it. Yeah. I I was so. talking to my buddy Bobby the other day. <clears throat> I don't know if he watches our TV show. I don't know if he listens to the podcast or not, but we were talking about turning. He has a, he has a, he has a kiln. So that's where I've been getting all my kiln or my lumber kiln right at. And he has a couple acres. And he has a great big, huge burl on one of his oak trees. I mean, that thing's like five foot across. It's huge. So we're going to lop that off at some point. And I was like, Bobby, you need to like, you need to cut some turning blanks and turn some of this. Like you'll be amazed. And he's like, no. I did that once, and he's like, the blank flew off, scared the crap out of me, I'm done. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, all you need is a little bit of somebody to show you how to do it, and then you'll be hooked. Yep. So, Get yeah, back up like, on the horse. Come on, I know you. You're stubborn. You don't give up after one issue. You've probably seen the Shaper Origin, that handheld CNC router. It's designed to help you do joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, adding speed and precision to your shop, and helping you enjoy the craft of woodworking in a whole different way. Shaper has a special offer right now. You can have it in your shop for 30 days. Just check out shapertools.com to learn more. Uh, other thing that I wanted to talk about, bring up, was people have already who have stuck with this podcast for a long time. My condolences, number one. Number two is you already are aware of some of my malfunctions, but I've had in my office and we we're kind of moving around stuff in for our office buildings. And I found, cause behind me, I have a little credenza, which may or may not be able, right there. There it is. And it's a super cool project, but it allows me to put stuff in there and hide it away so that it, it's like, it's not, doesn't exist. 
Two of those things were these boxes. They're cherry boxes for the people who are watching on YouTube, and I'll put some photos of them on the show notes page. Two things about them is we did a technique where using splines to reinforce the miter joints. And then the boxes were constructed in such a way that you made like a couple of cuts before assembling the boxes and then after, and you have like a perfectly nesting lid on those boxes. For whatever reason, lost to the sands of time, these boxes were glued up, even though they have grooves for the lid and bottom on them, but they'd never had a lid or bottom put in. Hmm. And like the very ugly dog at the pound, I decided to keep them. And I figured out now exactly what I'm going to do with them. And I've been kind of texting with you guys about it already. But uh, I, for Christmas, I got Matt Kenny's new book, Build Better Boxes. And Matt's got a really fun aesthetic and design style. I don't really want to copy him slavishly, but uh, there's a couple of concepts in there that I want to do uh, on these boxes. So one of them, I'm going to, the grain match on the box is a little wonky. So I'm going to take the, the lid, the shallow lid on it, and turn it into a tray. Make a, a bottom panel, line it with some leather, and make like a little desktop or dresser top tray. You can put your wallet or keys or whatever on there. The bottom part of the box, Matt's got a fun technique for lids where... It's a loose insert lid, but when you tip it up, there's a deeper rabbit along the back edge that allows you to just kind of tip the lid back in there and it'll stay open. So I thought I'd do that with with one of the boxes and then use a make a veneered panel for the lid in the bottom. And then this other one where I have a much better grain match and I think the cherry looks a little nicer is I will... Uh, wrap it out to get to where those grooves are and make new veneered panels. So with this one, because the cherry has a nice color when you put oil on it, that I would do uh, a fur on the for the panels. So it's a real tight grain, much lighter material, I think would complement it very nicely. And then I want to try, uh, Matt uses kind of brightly colored patterned fabrics for the bottoms of his boxes. And I think that's kind of a fun, fun surprise there that we don't normally think of for in woodworking is, you know, going beyond wood materials or just painting or something like that. So yeah, stay tuned. You know, it's funny when, when I was at the print shop before I came to Woodsmith, um, we had a company that was in New York and this entire company, all they did was import handmade paper from China. Like, I mean, we're talking like super in elaborate, you know, like uh, several hundreds of dollars for a big sheet of it. And they sent us some of their paper to, right. to test making binders out of. And basically the price to get them done was like, it was ridiculous. It's like nobody wants an $85 binder. You know, 
Um, but I snagged a bunch of this handmade paper uh, for this very reason to line the inside of stuff. I thought it would be cool for like drawer liners and stuff. Uh, oh, that would be cool. I put it. <laughs> I, I grabbed like because I needed like a I don't know a 31 inch by 14 inch sheet to make a binder and they sent like 40 inch by 40 inch sheets so I had some pretty good off cuts I don't know where went. I'm afraid my kids colored on it like this like super awesome <laughs> handmade you know it was either Chinese or Japanese paper like man yeah, yeah. well, now it's a somewhere. scribble with a rainbow on it. I made this for mommy, <laughs> not you, daddy. So, but yeah. yeah, no, that's that's one thing I like about uh, some of that stuff, like, you know, what Matt does. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to label it like kind of that modern hipstery type thing, but it's definitely not what you'd see as like a traditional style. Um but right. it's super fun. Like you open up a drawer, you open he, up a box, there's pop color. It's not what you're expecting. I like it. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to try it on a few things, was inspired by it. Matt has a different aesthetic than mine. His is very spare, very geometric or whatever. And I think his boxes also tend to be rather small too. I think even like the ones that I have are bigger for the most part than a lot of his other boxes. So, but you know, that's what you do is you see something that inspires you and then apply it to your own projects with a different, you know, just your own personality. And all of a sudden it's a different project. Hmm. So where did you say you came about these boxes just in the shop or they were, I, I bet they were probably photo props at one point. Oh. So I think I'm going to talk about say. What's that? I was going to say, I wonder if somebody was practicing. Oh, in the shop see. And like, you Could know, be. honing their technique. Right. Very zen. Good for them. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I've had these for several years now, and I have absolutely no idea how long I've had them or where they came from originally. Or... Yeah. They kind of look like those uh, ribble, <laughs> ribbon handle boxes. Yep. Like that yeah. kind of size and uh, shape. I don't know if that's what it was from. But yeah, might See, have been some. I always assume if, the if Could be. there's something that like is halfway decent in the garbage, it's from Chris Fitch because it's like Chris's, you know, trash mm -hmm. is pretty good for most of us. Like that's pretty good. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. This is only ninety percent. So anyway, I know that I have my own issues with rescuing parts like that, but I think there's stuff to be learned from it in general. So, and then I saw that you're coming along on the watchmaker's cabinet. Yeah. We were trying to decide what to name it, like time Lord's tool chest or something like that. Well, it's like, uh -huh. it's weird. Cause I keep, uh -huh. I keep calling it a watchmaker's cabinet because that's where I found, I found one in an antique store. It was labeled that. But there's yeah. many more examples of spool mate, spool cabinets from like, sure. you know, uh, old thread companies and stuff. So I, I'm kind of hybriding it between a, a watchmaker's cabinet and a spool cabinet. I mean, they're, they're basically identical. It's just what goes in the drawer and the dividers and stuff. So, yeah, I'm getting there. Um, cases all glued up. Uh, I cut some of the 
um, what you call them, capital, like a capital or like a, a corbel kind of. Yeah, capital probably because it looks more like pillars yeah. on the sides. Um, so I, I cut, I roughly cut some of the the fluting and stuff to fit uh, this morning just to see what it looked like, and I'm I'm pretty happy with how it is. I I walked into the studio and I asked Phil, I was like, Phil. Do you ever do something and then question yourself? He's like, all the time. <laughs> and it was one of those, like, I going back to the, you know, looking at other people's works and kind of making it your own. You know, I'm trying to look at different spool cabinets, different watchmakers cabinets, and come up with a, a look for these, you know, corbels or capitals and come up with something that isn't identical to those because I don't like any of them. A lot of them are too, like, I don't know, mass-produced looking. It's like, you know, a couple of angle cuts and then some chip carving on it, and it's done. I want something a little more elegant than that. So I just, I'm sitting there with a French curve, just kind of sketching out designs on these blocks, and I ended up with ones that I, I thought was like, oh, heck, that's better than anything else I've came up with so far. And I cut them, and I'm like, oh, hey, I actually really like how these look. It's one of those like pleasant surprises. So yeah, we're there. I'm getting close. I I did one of the half blind. So the drawers are there's six drawers, half blind dovetails, um, through dovetails on the back, half blinds on the front. I did one of the one set of the half blinds yesterday. Now I only have to do that 25 more times. So yeah, I think you should call it pity the spool cabinet. <laughs> I pity the spool that decides <laughs> to make this cabinet. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but no, I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Um, it's gonna, I, I posted a, a picture this morning of it on the unplugged woodworkers page. And, uh, one of the guys said, uh, you know, those cabinets are, have so many uses and I'm like, yeah, I mean, that was kind of my point. Obviously it's not for a watchmaker. It's not to hold anybody's mm-hmm. thread collection, although it could, um, it's more of right. like a, it's a nice size cabinet, two inch deep drawers. Um, I'm going to put all my carving tools in it, but I think you could probably, if you wanted, fit like router bits and stuff in there. I know Nelson. Sure. Nelson, unless it's our podcast, I've done some selling and trading with Nelson. He he sent me a message. was like, hey, you need to do a flip-up lid on it. And I was like, yeah, it's a great idea. Then I started getting into it. I'm like, oh, that complicates this build a little bit. <laughs> like, I like the idea. And I think I could, I think somebody could take what I have and flip it around to be a flip-up lid pun intended right um you just have to basically mm-hmm. not make that top drawer hinge the back and then attach the drawer front to the the lid and it would be a flip up um and i think that would work really nicely i just i only had so many pages and i just didn't i want to concentrate more on the hand tool technique than making it a flip up lid so sorry nelson mm-hmm. i know he's gonna hear this friday morning and yep. version yep. two I was talking to Chris this morning about because uh, they're filming another episode of his CNC Basecamp yeah. show, and he was talking about ideas that he had for future projects and episodes, and he was going to do like a two-in-one project where the idea was making like a little parts cabinet okay. for a shop, yep. you know, because like think of all the little things that need to be organized and stored in a shop, whether it's hardware, you know, fasteners or 
decorative hardware or whatever. And then he said, I'm going to do a second version that's almost identical, but it's a jewelry cabinet. Oh, cool. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, because yeah, that's basically small parts also. Yeah. Like it yep. just is. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when uh, Logan was talking about his watchmaker's cabinet of all the uh, projects from Woodsmith and Shop Notes that are our little tool chests, but they're like way <laughs> too beautiful to be in my shop for sure and throwing my tools in them, but they would make perfect <laughs> yeah. jewelry cabinets. Yeah. Well, that was, it's funny because that was one of the things I thought would be a really good shop notes project would be like, I don't know if you guys have seen the, uh, oh, Stanley made them like the Vidmark type. Um, uh, they're like industrial parts cabinets where they're they're tall, but they have a ton of drawers that are like three feet deep, right? And they're only like six inches square. So it's basically you pull out this drawer that's three feet long by six inches square. Right. And it's just full of nuts and bolts. Like, how awesome would that be? Like, I mean, right. my shop's not big enough to to warrant something like that. But somewhere somebody's is. Like, that'd be a cool one. Mm-hmm. Do like do like oh, the yeah. industrial hammered look on it. That's I'm excited to, to see some of that come back. Which also kind of reminds me, I was uh, uh, recently picked up the. <laughs> Cabinet Maker's Notebook by James Krenoff. And I kind of have a love-hate relationship with James Krenoff in the fact that sometimes, depending on my mood, he just is a little too fluffy, frou-frou yep. or something. And then other times it's like, yeah, that makes sense. And I had read this book several years ago and I'm in a different place now, apparently. But as I was flipping through, I, and I thought of you, Logan, yeah. and it relates to your watchmaker's cabinet is he had this I'm going to show it. I'll take a picture of it, put it on the show notes page. It's a small, narrow wall cabinet that holds pipes. And there's a little box at the bottom for some of the cleaning supplies and whatever. And what was interesting to me was, you know, a lot of times we'll build a project for a specific purpose, but how he did that one where, you know, with a pipe, a a huge part of it is the aroma that is around the pipe, even when it's not being smoked. So the door on that cabinet looks more like louvers so that there's a, it's open so that just even walking up to that cabinet, you're going to start to experience the, the part of smoking that a lot of people like is the the aroma yep. that goes with it. Not making any moral judgments yep. on smoking as a as a whatever, but you know, a, how you know, just that yep. idea the of, of it, when yep. you make something for it that the the contents of it also plays a role in the design yep. of it, not just in storing it, but in how it how they play together. And if anybody wants to see a modern rendition of James Krenov's pipe cabinet, you can go to the Popwood 40th anniversary issue where Keenan Oren reproduced that. So, Oh, is that, that the is. one that he did? Yep, oh, that's that interesting. I didn't realize yep, that. Yep. That's that one, um, which is an interesting, like, th- I mean, I think that's a part of design that is so overlooked is like, the project itself, what goes in it is 
every bit as important as to that design as the woodworking is. You know? Like, yeah, inherently, I don't like Kronov stuff because he lived in California, People's Republic of California. Sorry to all our Californians. <laughs> yep, I did. Wow. I said it. He's Jeez. from Russia. It's fine. All of California. It's fine. <laughs> and now you alienated Russia right. too. We're they, gonna get it on both fronts. They're on the border Once they're of done Ukraine, with Ukraine, yeah, they're fine. <laughs> but no, like, um, I think it's like that to me is the epitome of a good design. Is Krinov yeah. decided? Hey, I need a, I need something for my pipes. Here's what I think of when I think of my pipes. And one of those important elements, like you said, is the smell. And, and he incorporated that aspect into the design. Like, to me, that is the epitome, perfect circle of design and function coming to get together. Mm-hmm. So I really like that. Right. Yeah. 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 A lot of times for the magazine, we're trying to design projects very generally so people can use them for a lot of different things. But it, it's pretty cool when... You can design something very specifically for a very specific yeah. function or, yeah. you know, specific storage. And yeah. it's just really cool or, to, I mean, to see Or, I mean, even that. designing a piece to fit in a house. You know what I mean? Like, um, mm-hmm. Frank Lloyd Wright, from an architecture standpoint, always designed his houses so they were, you know, they kind of brought the outdoors in. Big windows, everything was very right. organic. Um, you put a you know, modern piece of furniture in that house, it's not going to look right. Um, yeah. You put a yeah. nice, you know, thin, organically designed piece, it's probably going to look more at home. At yeah. home. So yeah. it always fascinates me. Mm-hmm. And I'm always jealous of the type of furniture makers that get those type of projects where it's like, hey, I have a $3 million Frank Lloyd Wright house that I need a dining room table for. Come and see my space and design a table around it. Like to me, that's like, oh, I love that. That's awesome. But all right, that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. We'd love to hear any questions, comments, or smart remarks that you might have. The best place to do that is to leave them in our comment section on our YouTube channel. You can also send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Just a reminder, today's episode is brought to you by Shaper Tools. They're the makers of the Shaper Origin, the handheld CNC router that brings digital precision to the craft of woodworking. Tackle joinery, cabinetry, hardware installation, all that and more with speed and precision. Try it risk-free in your shop for 30 days. Visit shapertools.com to learn more. All right, that's it, everybody. Thank you for in listening to the Shop Notes podcast, and we'll see you again next week. Bye.